You are listening to a sermon by Pastor Christopher Sally of New Life Christian Fellowship Church. Nobody knows, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow, glory, 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 hallelujah. T.L. Barrett, Pastor T.L. Barrett, the Youth for Christ Choir, January 1971 from their album, Like a Ship Without a Sail that haunting music, that, that chorus that just says nobody knows. If, if, if you're African-American, I dare you not to think and reflect upon our people and our struggle and not let that go straight to your soul. When I hear it, it takes me to a place where I remember the struggle and I remember all of the things that we've been through, and all we can really say is glory. Glory, hallelujah. It's, the words say, say it, say it again, and then, it, and then the verse says, say it to the Lord. Ta-Nehisi Coates in his article, The Case for Reparations, said this, America begins in black plunder and white democracy. Two features that are not contradictory, but complementary. The men who came together to found the independent United States dedicated to freedom and equality either held slaves or willing to join hands with those who did. The historian Edmund S. Morgan wrote, none of them felt entirely comfortable about the fact, but neither did they feel responsible for it. Most of them had inherited both their slaves and their attachment to freedom from an earlier generation, and they knew the two were not unconnected. The 13th Amendment was ratified by the required number of states in December, on December 6, 1850, 1865, seven months after the end of the Civil War. It simply states, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within these United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate 
legislation. Six words that I want to focus on. Accept as punishment for crime. This exception has historically been used as a tool, as a weapon to bludgeon those of African descent. The 13th Amendment resulted in the immediate mass arrest of blacks during the Reconstruction period that followed slavery. The economic back of the Southern economy was broken, and there was a need to reharness black bodies for labor. Fear of black men and black crime, especially towards white women, was stoked in order to justify this behavior. The white power structure used Negro criminals convicted of petty crimes like loitering and vagrancy to rebuild. To rebuild. An article in 2018 in the New York Times by Brent Staples uh, talks about the fact that, that we're victims of the infamous convict leasing system that arose in Sugarland, Texas after emancipation. He states Southerners sought to replace slave labor by jailing African Americans on trumped up charges and turning them over to, among others, sugar cane plantations. He goes on to remark, the Texas sugar plantations were profitable because they depended on slave labor. Abolition crushed the industry, but the convict leasing system resurrected it in a form that legitimately can be seen as more pernicious than slavery. Slave masters had at least a nominal interest in keeping alive people whom they owned and whom they had an economic stake. By contract, when a leased inmate died in the fields, managers who had contracted with the prison system for specific numbers of bodies could demand a replacement. Our emancipation from slavery was followed by an open period of terror through violence highlighted by lynchings that helped fuel the migration of the Negro from the South to the urban communities of the North, the East, and the West in search of new economic opportunities, yes, but also as refugees escaping the terror state of the South. What's going on? what's going on? That's the question I'm asking today. T.L. Barrett and the Youth for Christ Choir's album came out in January of 1971. There was another album that came out in May of 1971 that was just as powerful, if not more so, more well-known, and it was by uh, Marvin Gaye, and it was a concept album that tells the story from the point of view of a Vietnam veteran, veteran returning to the country he had been fighting for and, and seeing only hatred and suffering and injustice. And, and Gaye's introspective lyrics discuss themes of drug abuse and poverty, war, and global warming. He asked the question, what's going on? Amen? That's the question that we often ask of God today when we look at everything that's happening in our society today, but then we look at the history of our sojourn as black people in this country. We can simply ask God the same question, what's going on? But if you think that 
that we be the first people group to ask God that question or the first one that wanted to know what's going on from God, you would be wrong. Because back in Habakkuk, in chapter 1, Habakkuk asked these very same questions of God as he looked around at what was happening in his world. When he looked around to see what was going on in, in, in Judah and in Jerusalem, he asked God these questions. What's going on? And if you have a Bible that's a, that, that has headings, in my Bible, the first thing it says in Habakkuk chapter 1 is Habakkuk's complaint, and then the Lord's answer, Habakkuk's second complaint, and then the Lord answers. Here's Habakkuk's complaint. It sounds a lot like something you might say to God now. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him and the righteous so that justice is perverted. What is Habakkuk saying? He is saying to God in his complaint, God, why don't you hear? God, why don't you help? I'm hurting, and I'm questioning your handling. I'm questioning the handling of the situation. Lord, why don't you hear? Why don't you help? Lord, I'm hurting, and I'm questioning your handling. The Lord's answer. Look at the nations and watch. And be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe. Even if you were told, I am raising up the Babylonians. And Habakkuk, you see his face like, huh? You're raising up the, ba yeah, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth and seize dwellings not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves, and they promote their own honor. And, and God goes on to describe this people that he's raising up. Got a great reputation for violence and doing exact, they, they're, they're outside of they're outside of, uh, of Judah, and, 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 they're, and they're, God is saying, I'm going to use them to, to chastise you. I'm going to use them to help correct you to get Judah where they need to be. And, and Habakkuk is like, you're, you're literally, you're blowing my mind for real. How can you hook up with and use those folks? At least when we mess up, at least, God, we're church folk. We're your folk, but you're going to use somebody outside of our community. You're going to use somebody that's known for being violent. And the, and the scripture talks about the fact that they, that they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. They worship their own strength, their ability to create havoc and wreak havoc on people. That's what they worship. You're talking about using them? So Habakkuk said, maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't set this thing up right. So in my second complaint, maybe I just came in, I came in hot on the first complaint, and I didn't set it up right. So on the second complaint, Habakkuk starts out, and he says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? 
Come on, maybe I, maybe I didn't put enough, I didn't put enough respect on your name. Maybe I was too close to the slap zone in the first complaint. You know how you can get too close to the slap zone with God when you start trying to tell him about his business and he, he starts to tell you, you better mind your business. But he was like, listen, you're perverting, you're doing all of these things. I, I, I'm hurting and, and I'm questioning your handling. When you start to question what God is doing, you are getting close to the slap zone. I don't know if you've ever been there. Maybe I just have when I am always suggesting to God about how he should be handling things in his world. It's just my suggestion, and I can just end it by saying, hashtag, I'm just saying. But Habakkuk said, you, maybe I didn't set this thing up right. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock have ordained them to punish? Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Therefore, he sacrifices to his net, verse 16, and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury. It's not even like he's living just for provision. He, he's getting over it. He's getting fat on this thing, running around terrorizing people and enjoys the choicest food. I can't deal with it. Is, is, is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? Is that what He's called to do this Babylonian people that you're going to raise up that's going to correct and chastise us. Is that what you're doing? His second complaint is actually, why don't you punish? Why don't you protect? Lord, I'm perplexed and I'm questioning your plan. Have you ever been there? You're asking literally what's going on. As I look at the world, as I look at my situation, I look at our circumstances, I don't like anything that I see. And so I'm saying to you, God, why don't you hear? Why don't you help? I'm hurting and I'm questioning your handling. And then I'm saying, why don't you punish? Why don't you protect? Lord, I'm perplexed and I'm questioning your plan. When this brand of open hostility became less accepted, the system of Jim Crow segregation was instituted to main contr maintain control and relegate blacks to second-class citizenship. Further in the uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, The Case for Reparations, we see this. In 1934, Congress created the Federal Housing Administration. The FHA insured private mortgages, causing a drop in interest rates and a, and a decline in the size of the down payment required to buy a house. But an insured mortgage was not possible for most black people, the F, or no black people. The FHA had adopted a system of maps that rated neighborhoods according to their perceived stability. On the maps, green areas were rated A indicating in-demand neighborhoods that, as one appraiser put it, lacked a single foreigner or Negro. These neighborhoods was considered excellent prospects for insurance. Neighborhoods where black people live were rated D and were usually considered ineligible for FHA backing. They were colored in red. Neither the percentage of black people living there nor the social class mattered. Black people were viewed as a contagion. 
redlining went beyond FHA-backed loans and spread to the entire mortgage industry, which was already rife with racism, excluding black people from, from, from most legitimate means of obtaining a mortgage. A government offering such bounty to builders and lenders could be should have been required to have compliance with the non-discrimination policy. Charles Abrams, the urban studies expert who helped create the New York City Housing Authority, wrote in 1955, instead, the FHA adopted a racial policy that could have well been culled from the Nuremberg Laws. What's going on? Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow, glory. Glory, glory, hallelujah. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 was a pivotal point in our history, a moment of celebration, a chance to exhale as there was recognition of previously denied right, rights now codified into law. However, many tethered these newly acquired rights for blacks to arise in crime, particularly in the urban cities, thus the appeal for America to become a law and order society. This ushered in a dawn of a new era, the era of mass incarceration. The Nixon administration started a war on drugs and begins to treat the drug issue as a criminal issue, not a health crisis. Now, it, I find it ironic, as you would as well, that, that as, as there's an opioid crisis now that is ravaging not our community necessarily, but, but white communities, it's now being asked to be looked at as a, as a health crisis and not, and not, a, not a criminal issue. They're looking for treatment and, and, and not imprisonment, but, but here and then also when we are community was ravaged by crack cocaine in the 80s. Everything was about prison and everything was about justice. Now it's about health and now it's, a, it's about treatment. But I, I'm just, again, I'll just put the hashtag, I'm just saying. It was treated as a criminal scourge in the 80s and now there's appeals for treatment and not jail time. The Reagan administration picks up the Nixon banner and acts and enacts mandatory sentencing for crack cocaine, which was more prevalent in the black community versus powder cocaine. And the war on drugs begins. In 1970, there were 358,000 people in prison. In 1980, 514,000. In 1985, 759,000. In 1990,1.18 million in the year 2000, 2 million, 15,000. In 2024, 2 million, uh, 300,000, a nearly six and a half fold increase since 1970. Black population in prison in 2001, 878,000 people. Black males are six and a half percent of the U.S. population and 40.2 percent of the prison population. More blacks are now under criminal supervision than there were slaves in the 1850s. The lifetime likelihood of a white man being imprisoned is one in 17. For a black man, it's one in three. What's going on? 
makes you think of some of those other titles on Marvin Gaye's album in 1971. Not just what's going on. What's happening, brother? <laughs> mercy, mercy me. And my favorite of all, make me want to holler the way they do my life. Because this ain't living. This ain't living. And as I look around this world, nothing makes sense. And just like Habakkuk, we can offer a complaint and ask God some challenging questions that he is able to answer, but, but that's the place where we are. It's like, what, what do you, do you see? Do you care? Do, 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 you, do, you, do you punish? Do, do you protect? I'm perplexed, and I'm questioning your plan. I, do you help? Do you hear? I'm hurting, and I'm questioning your handling. What's going on? We saw Clinton pass a crime bill in 1994 that provided perverse incentives for law enforcement that led to many of the abuses we see today. Law enforcement that in our communities looks a lot more like control and harm than it does serve and protect. That same bill is responsible for the massive expansion of the prison industrial complex. At once you have been, and once you have been in the system, you are returned to larger society with an effective scarlet letter on your chest. You can't vote, no access to student loans, can't travel abroad, can't own a firearm, have to disclose your criminal past on job and housing applications, can't get food stamps. This reality is superbly captured by Michelle Alexander in her book, The New Jim Crow, where she says, this ultimately leads uh, us to, uh, to, to uh, this uh, conclusion. A stunningly comprehensive and well-disguised well system of racialized social control that functions in a manner strikingly similar to Jim Crow. The culmination of this social control is what Alexander calls a racial caste system, a type of stratification wherein people of color are kept into, in an inferior position. It emerges, she believes, in direct response to the civil rights movement. Here's what you need to know and appreciate if you don't already know and appreciate it in your bones. The white power structure has never ended the racial caste system that it established when we first arrived on these shores. They have only redesigned it. They are not going to give up on trying to keep us down. The Bible talks about how Satan is an adversary who roams about seeking whom he may devour, that he, and, and the, the scripture tells us in 1 Peter to be sober and be vigilant for our adversary, the devil, roameth about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It's that, it's that, same, it's that same kind of vigilance that the white power structure has in terms of how they have dealt with us when you've gone all the way from, from slavery to, 
to reconstruction and Jim Crow to, to the housing, to the expansion of the prison industrial complex, to every other things, to the, to the uh, repeal of the effective repeal or the attempt of the, of the civil rights laws and the Voting Rights Act and everything. They just keep coming. They just keep coming. And I want you to know and appreciate that if they would just leave us alone for five minutes, just five minutes, we'd be fine we have something in us that allows us to be able to overcome and helps us to get over and helps us to do what we need to do. But they're not going to leave us alone, not even for five minutes. They cannot leave us alone. And now that the prison industrial complex has been privatized and it's a business, that business needs customers. And those customers are our black bodies. Customers like Khalif Browder. Khalif spent three years in jail for a crime he did not commit. He was accused of stealing, but, but because he could not afford the $900 cash bail needed to get out, he had to stay in, and he was encouraged to accept the plea, as most defendants are, because the wheels of the court would grind to a halt if everyone had a jury trial, as the system would be hopelessly overwhelmed. His trial date got pushed back Time and time again, he got out after three years, and even though he survived the horrific experience of incarceration, he tragically took his own life within two years of being released. We want answers for Khalif Browder and for Trayvon Martin and for Laquan McDonald and for Eric Garner and for Freddie Gray, and for Michael Brown, and for Alton Sterling, and for Sandra Bland, and for Philando Castile, and for Walter Scott, and for Samuel DuBose, and for Terrence Crutcher, and for Keith Lamont Scott, and Paul O'Neill, and Christian Taylor, and a Kate Gurley, and for George Floyd. What's going on? Because nobody knows the trouble we've saved. Nobody knows our sorrow. The words of that song go on to say, I've been abused and I've been scorned. I've been talked about. Yes, I have. Just as sure as you're born, this is a mean world to try to live in. But you got to stare ahead of heavy times without a mother. Don't even have a father. I'm looking for a sister. I can't even find my brother. Nobody knows. But praise God, her backup has two more chapters. Because if it just ended in chapter one, it would end without the true hope that we have. And we do have hope, beloved. Glory, 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 hallelujah. The song says, say it again and say it to the Lord. And so in chapter 2 and 3, as we look to those chapters, you see that Habakkuk says in verse 1 of chapter 2, I will stand at my watch. And station myself on the ramparts, I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Habakkuk 
has a stank attitude. You, a lot of times, probably even right now, have a stank attitude. What makes his attitude stank? It's this. He's saying, I'm going to stand and I'm, I'm, I'm going to watch. That's the appropriate thing. That's the appropriate posture. He says, but I know I'm, he's going to give me an answer. He's already anticipating I'm not going to like it, and I am going to formulate my response right now. It's what you and I do when we're in relationships. Often, when you have a discussion, you think about the spousal relationship. You're having a discussion. You're having some communication that your wife is talking to you, but you're actually not listening. You're just waiting for her to finish so that you can start talking. And just so that we're clear that that goes both ways, I'll give the other example. Your husband is talking, but you're not listening. You're just waiting for him to finish so that you can begin to respond. That's not the right posture. That's why it stank. And the last person you want to be stank with is God. You don't want to say, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait to see what he say. And then when he answers this second, this third complaint or what his answer will be once he says something to me that I'm already saying, I'm going to file my third complaint. That's the slap zone. Amen. Amen. And so he, 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 they're, they're, God does say, he says, listen, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. And, and, and God does answer him. And in, in Habakkuk chapter 2, there's a description of this Babylonian people. And God tells him, and I'll just say this quickly, that in verses 6 to 8, he reminds Habakkuk that these folks are treacherous. And in verses 9 through 11, he reminds them that they're devious. And in and, and, and verses 12 through 14, he reminds them that they're murderous. In verses 15 through 17, he says they're vicious. And in verses 18 and 19, he says they're idolatrous. Do you know a people, and in terms of how they have historically interacted with the African-American community, that we could describe as treacherous, devious, murderous, vicious, and idolatrous? If you don't, I do. That's our experience. And he says, listen, I understand all of that is going to happen. That is part of God's answer. They're treacherous. I get it. They're devious. I understand. They might be murderous. I got it. Vicious. Check the box. Idolatrous. Got it. But here's what I want you to do, Habakkuk, when life makes no sense. Regardless of what Babylon is doing, regardless of what is happening in your world, there is a certain way that I want the people of God to engage when they get into a place where there's troubled times, when you get to a place where nobody knows. God does not let us off the hook in terms of how we're supposed to respond to adverse circumstances when we ask him the question, what's going on, and when life makes no sense. God said, it's still the way I want you to carry it. And the first is, I do want you to watch for it. Amen? But not with that stank attitude that you have, but the expectation is that God will move. And it will be something visible that can be seen. Amen? 
God's, he says, in chapter 1, he says, he says, I will stand at my watch. Yes, I want you to watch for it. I want you to watch to see what God will do next because God is aware of the situation. Habakkuk didn't even know that God was aware of what was happening in Judah when God said, I'm going to show you something that will blow your mind. I've already solved it. He didn't like how God solved it, but God says, you got to watch and see what I do next. So watch for it. And then he says, I need you to witness to it. Come on, somebody. Because he said in verse number two, the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. I want you to witness to it. The best way you're going to be able to witness to what God is doing is if you write it down. Why do you need to write it down? Because you're not going to remember it if you don't. How many times have I begged you to write it down? At your age, you're not going to remember these notes because I need to write it down because if I just spit it off the dome I'm gonna miss something I need the notes so you need to write it down when you come into the house of the Lord you need to be prepared to hear from God and you need to be able to journal and remember what God has said you need to remember where you were at that time and what God said you can look back on it for encouragement you can look back on it for a lot of reasons but you need to be able to write it down that's what God is looking for in troubled times in particular when your circumstances start to overwhelm you and you start to want to look down at your circumstances instead of looking up at your God he says, I need you to watch for it, and then I need you to witness to it. And then here's the really hard part for you and for me. It speaks to an end that will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. I won't wait for it. I need it now. I need it now. Because I live in an American society, and everything we get, we're trying to get it now. And matter of fact, we think that we deserve it, and we deserve it now, which is really the most perverse part. I want it, and I want it when? Now! And I deserve to get it now, and if I don't get it now, I am stank again with another stank attitude because you didn't come through for me now. But I promise you, God's favorite candy is not the blow pop, it's not sugar babies, it is not bubble yum. It is now and laters. I promise you. I promise you. He loves all flavors, I'm sure. But if it was me, it would be grape. Now and laters. God is the God of now and later. He says, I will give you, I came that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. I'll give you abundant life now. But that sweet eternal life, that's for later. God always keeps something for later, and you got to wait on it. 
Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath that hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. He says, listen, I need you to do something. I need you to wait. It's not going to all be the way you want it to be right now. I am the God of now and later. It's sweet now, but trust me, it's better later. I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him but you're going to have to wait on it and then he says this you're going to have to walk through it not walk around it not try to find a workaround for it you're going to have to walk through it. How do you know he tells you you have to walk through it? Because he says the righteous shall live by faith. You got to live by faith. That means faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I need you to walk worthy of the vocation to which you're called. You're going to have to walk through it. Why? Because the righteous shall live by their faith. No matter what is happening in the world, you still have to walk through it. That verse is repeated three times in the New Testament. In Romans 1, it says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is a righteousness of God revealed, and that by faith the, right, the righteous shall live by what? Faith. It's saying that, 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 that the gospel is the path of righteousness. Amen. The righteous will live by faith. It's the, that's the path. And then in Galatians chapter 3 and 11, he says that, uh, that no man, that, that there'll be no, in the sight of God shall no flesh be justified by the law. It comes by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And so again, it's not the path of faith that gets revealed. I'm in the bonus track. This is the priority of faith. It's faith over the law. And then in Hebrews chapter 10, and I think it's verse 38 or 39, he literally says, the righteous shall live by faith. But if, the, if a man, if, it's, if he draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. He says here in chapter 10, here are the practices of faith. There's the practices of faith. There is the path of faith. There is the priority of faith. Faith is important, and the righteous must live by faith. So you got to walk through it. There's no other way. You can't get around it. You can't go under it. You can't go over it. You've got to walk through it. You've got to walk through it. You got to watch for it. You got to witness to it. You got to wait on it. And last, but definitely not least, you got to worship in it. And before we get to that ending verse in, in Habakkuk chapter 3, I want you to look at the end of Habakkuk chapter 2 because it just says something simple. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. What is God saying to her back? Shh. Hush. Now, I know in verse 1, you said that you were going to have something to say after I said what I said. But when I said what I said, I dropped the mic and I broke it. So I'm not looking for you to say anything. There's nothing left to say because I said it all. I told you what I'm going to do. 
I told you to watch for it. I told you to wait for it. I told you to witness uh, to it, and I told you to walk through it. And so what I need you to do is get on board with me and stop running your mouth and be quiet. And I am in my holy temple, which is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Where else would you think I would be? I am the Lord of all the earth. I am the creator and sustainer of all life. I see, I hear, I love, I care, and I'm letting you know I'm in my holy temple. Let everybody else keep their mouths shut. Habakkuk's a quick study. He said, okay, I get the demo now. I, I get it now because in chapter 3, it says a prayer for backup the prophet. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds. He's on board now. He understands. I got to do something. And then he reveals the last thing that you must do and we must do in these tough, tough times. He says this, although the fig tree shall not blossom, Neither shall fruit be in the vine. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock will be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet. Yet. I see absolutely no reason to rejoice. I got no fruit. I got no herds, there's nothing on the vines, there's nothing in the fields, nothing in the stalls. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like hinds feet. And he will make me to go upon my high places. See, most of you want to praise him after he delivers what you asked for. Habakkuk said that's not the pattern. In tough circumstances and when life makes no sense and when we're still searching for justice and we still can't find any peace and we still have uh, terrible people that want to run this country and we're so divisive and all of these things are happening. He says, listen, I, I'm on top of it. I see it. I understand. But you're going to have to wait for it because I'm a now and later God. I'm a now and later God, but I see you, but I need you now to be quiet. And what I want you to do is worship in it before it even happens, not after it's over, while it's going on now. I need you to give me a yet praise. I need a yet praise. I need a yet praise. And my anticipation for you should be, I mean, your anticipation for me is you'll make my feet, the scripture says, like hinds feet and make me go up on my high faith places. Habakkuk is saying not, not only is the situation, it's tough, but I'm going to give you a yet praise. But my anticipation is you're going to take me higher and higher. You're going to take me places that other folks can't go. And you're going to take me to those places because, because you're going to make my footing sure. Why? Because I am walking through it and you're going to make sure I don't slip and I don't fall. We may not see what we want to see for our people as it relates to justice, as it relates to economics. Not next year, maybe not in five years or 10 years, but we will see it. 
because God sees us. And if we never see it, we'll be good with it because this world will pass away. He will set everything right in the end, and then we will see everything be made right when Jesus Christ is on the throne. Hold on to that. Don't say nobody knows the trouble you see. Somebody knows, and somebody cares, and he's asking you to watch for it. He's asking you to witness to it. He's asking you to wait on it. He's asking you to walk through it. And he's asking you to worship in it. 